Uh, so I want to, I want to start with a story this morning. I was listening to some sermons that from a very long time ago, uh, back in the dark ages of 2017, uh, earlier this week, uh, because uh, Brad and Clara asked me for copies of some sermons that I did pre-podcast and pre-YouTube, and I just happened to have recordings of them. And in one of those sermons, and it was before we did recording, so I think it was just because Jess thought I was going to say something that would get me in trouble, so she recorded it from the other side of the room on her phone. So the recording's not great quality, but it is a recording, and it's from the other side of the room. And in that message, because it was recorded from the other side of the room on a phone, I can hear the whole room. There's lots of people in the room. And because I told people I was likely going to say something controversial, everybody turned up. Now, you might not be used to that, but it meant that there was like literally people sitting on all of the furniture and people sitting on all of the floor. There was closer to 40 adults in this room compared to our normal smaller gathering. Sometimes we hit 40 with the kids, but it was a much, much more full room. And uh, and I was listening back to that sermon. I can hear particular voices in that. And um, it was just a really wonderful kind of way to reflect on where we've come from. And I shared a story in, in one of those messages from that series. And I'd like to read that story to you again today. It's actually from a guy named Rob Bell, uh, who has, was kind of a famous evangelical pastor who got too loving and kind, which meant that he was a bit controversial for the evangelical crowd. And they kind of cast him out as a bit of a heretic. Uh, he may have had some other theological worldviews that were slightly non-normative to the American evangelical right. But uh, he was kind of a superstar in evangelicalism. He made the Numa videos, if you ever watched those. And he is an incredibly gifted communicator. And this is from his book, uh, What is the Bible? And I really love this story. And I just want to read it to you because I think it's relevant for our uh, kind of lectionary advent passage and season for today. So the story is called Larry at the Airport. Imagine... You're sitting in the bad gigs claim area at the airport waiting for your Uncle Willie and your Aunt Frida to arrive from Sarasota. This, I probably should have gone through and made this more, made it more culturally appropriate because Uncle Willie, Aunt Frida and arriving from Sarasota are very not normal for Australia. Uh, when you notice a man and a woman walk up to each other and embrace. You don't think any more about this man and this woman Hugging, because this happens all the time in the baggage claim area at the airport. People arrive and are greeted by their family and friends and lovers, and they get their luggage and head for the parking lot. You don't know who this man is, or who this woman is, or where, where, or where one of them is coming from, or who is visiting who, or what has gone on, or what is going on between them. It is just a man and a woman embracing in an airport. Now imagine what happens when you do know something about them. Imagine you learn that this man and this woman are actually brother and sister, and she's been working at a hospital in Malawi for the last three years, and they just found out their father has been in, uh, diagnosed with brain cancer and only has a few days to live, and so she has flown home. And there's so much she needs to say to him, and now her brother has picked her up at the airport, and they're headed straight to the hospital, where the family will be get, uh, together for the first time in years and they will say goodbye to their father. And they both know as they embrace that it will be unlike anything they have ever experienced. Or let's say that they are husband and wife 
And she's had this dream of being a sculptor, doing shows and having her work sold in galleries. But after she went to grad school and started having kids and then he went to grad school and she needed to get a job to make ends meet and now they're both working long hours trying to raise their kids and pay off school loans and the mortgage and now the oldest needs braces and the house needs a new roof and the dream is dead. But on her 44th birthday, she woke up with a profound sense of despair as if life had made decisions for her that left her with a conviction that she hadn't been true to herself. So she shared this with her husband, who suggested that he got a job in the evenings and the weekends at a local sporting goods store that his friends owned so that she could cut back on her hours at work and they could clear out a space in the basement for a studio for her to start sculpting again. And now it's been three years and she's just returning from a trip to New York where she sold her first two pieces and signed a deal with the gallery and they did it together and they're exhausted, but they are alive in ways that they never were before. And there is a sense of shared sacrifice like they banded together to make this happen. And there is so much joy between them and he is thrilled for a number of reasons Among them, he doesn't have to answer another question about golf clubs. Or imagine that this man and woman are friends, that they've known each other for 15 years, and they went to the same college, and at various times they've dated each other's friends. But five years ago, they moved to different sides of the country, and then, totally unexpectedly, a year ago, they began writing letters to each other actual paper and pen letters and though uh, these letters and through these letters a genuine love has started to grow they've both been burned in the past she was engaged but her fiance called off the wedding two weeks before the date and he discovered his girlfriend of four years had been seeing his roommate behind his back so they decided that they wouldn't see each other and they would just write for a year and if at the end of the year they were still writing then they would see each other in person And this has happened. The letters have brought them together in extraordinary ways as their love has been building and building as they shared more and more of their lives with each other. And now the year is up and she has come to visit him and he has a diamond ring in his pocket and she doesn't know about it. Now let's rewind. You're there in the baggage claim and now... You know all of this history and background and context and then you see her walking uh, across the hall toward him and the scene is instantly electric for you, right? You watch with different eyes. You're fully engaged, filled with anticipation. Why? Because now you are aware. Previously, you were cut off from the depth and separated from the stories of these people, but now you see and now... And now you feel a number of things you didn't previously and your awareness has changed, which is, of course, it's now everything from your perspective. But let's say your friend Larry, who is with you, Larry has been in the bathroom this whole time. Larry appears just as the woman is approaching the man and starts going on about how he can't stand the new hairdryers where you stick your hands in and wait for the air to turn on because they're loud and he doesn't think that they're effective and whatever electricity they save cannot make up for the fact that he always ends up with having to wipe his hands on his pants which makes him look like he's had an accident. What's wrong with paper towels? Larry asks. But you motion him to stop talking. 
because you are intently watching two strangers meet and embrace and you can't take your eyes off them. You are glued to the scene in front of you and you realize you were actually fighting back a tear. And Larry watches you dumbfounded and Larry thinks that you're a bit of a stalker and says, I don't get it. A woman gets off a plane and embraces the man who's waiting for her hundreds of times a day. It's the baggage claim at an airport. That's what people do. Am I missing something? And you have an answer for Larry, right? You look him in the eyes and you say, well, what do you say? Do you bring him up to speed? Do you tell him the story about the letters or the ring or the gallery? Do you, you fill him in, right? You don't just leave him hanging there, do you? When, when Rob Bell uh, shared this story, it was in the context of saying the, the Old Testament, even though these, this collection of stories are confusing and challenging and difficult at times and they provide the context and the story. They provide the, the, uh, the connection and the intimacy, the background, so that when we get to the New Testament, we get to the, the birth and the life and the death of Christ. There is something about that story that resonates more deeply inside of us because we understand what's going on. We read these familiar stories and, and seasons like Advent, uh, Advent or seasons uh, like Easter. We, we retell these familiar stories, stories that we as adults have all heard before. And we get the kids and we do uh, a nativity scene and we do craft activities. And it's like we do this every year. Why do we do this every year? We do the Easter thing every year. We do the same routines every year. We've done the lectionary all year long, the different seasons of Pentecost and the different seasons of Advent and Easter. And why do we do these things? Well, we do it because the background is so important. The story is so important. The intimacy and the agape love of God is intertwined in the narrative of history. Christmas and Easter and Advent, these things, uh, we set them apart. Even in secular culture, we set them apart as holy days. Because they remind us of these important events in the narrative that give us the context so that we can fully engage in that story. We set apart these days for feasting and for gratitude and for worship. We set apart these days so that we can reflect on the profound impact of these stories and how they have out uh, the outworking of those stories over history, but also in the last year. So when I think back over this last year, I am deeply grateful. I'm profoundly thankful. I'm thankful for you, for your generosity, for your humor, for your support, for your prayers, for your partnership and investment, both in, in me personally and my family and in our community. I'm grateful for your faith because faith in our culture and our time and season is hard. It is difficult to hold on to a deep faith in Christ and to hold on to hope to hold on to that joy in seasons of struggle and, and pestilence and, and war. It's difficult. And I am grateful for your faith and your servant-heartedness and your friendship. And I feel a sense of peace and hope for the future. More now, when I listened to the, the sermon, that, as I shared before, from five years ago, and I heard those voices, many of those people weren't around anymore. We went through a hard and difficult, barren season over some of those years. But now I find myself at the end of this year, more than I have in many years, I feel hope and peace and joy for this next season. I love what Walter Brueggemann said in that short video I showed. 
He said the Advent story is getting ready for the birth. Getting ready for a bodily intrusion of the transformative power of God into the historical process. He is coming soon as a baby. This is important. History is being broken open with new possibility. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, the dead will be raised, and the poor will be happy. It is not possible under our current system, but it is possible. And the interviewer, uh, it was very quiet, so you might not have heard it. He said, uh, he asked of, of Walter, he says, what gives you hope? And his answer was, the script and the community that practices it. The script and the community that practices it. The script is the, the body of Christ. The script is the word that was in the beginning with God and was God. The script is the outworking, the narrative and the story of Christ's life and death and resurrection. The hope and peace for the world. The script is that the blind will see and the lepers will walk. The script is that the dead will be raised and the poor will be happy. I love that. The poor will be happy. That's why we have this story. And that's why we connect to again and again to Jesus as a baby and then Jesus on a cross and then Jesus in his risen glory, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father. We remember this story because it is the script that tells us the poor will be happy one day. The time is upon us and it is coming as a baby. I want to read from you today from Luke chapter 2. Just the first 14 verses. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, this is the, the, the beginning of the final chapter. We've had all of this history prior to this where where the, the tent of meeting tried to contain something of God's nature. And there was a tabernacle and a temple and an ark and a holy of holies, but none of them could contain God. They all passed away. They all went away. Yet God still desired to dwell among his people. He still wanted to be with us. And so he took on flesh like us. 
and within Mary's womb became the temple of the very enfleshed word of God. The one who could not be contained was now contained, the incarnate son of God within her, Theotokos, the God-bearer. The fulfillment of the law and the beginning of a new covenant of grace whose name is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Because God is not distant. He is not foreign. He is not far. He is with us. In Isaiah it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God is not avoiding us. He isn't disgusted with us. He isn't enraged or vengeful. He wants to be near us. All the way from pre-creation glory in heaven, he pursued us as a babe born in a manger. He has pursued us through a sinless life and upon a cross, he has pursued us. And out of the grave, he pursued us. He is not simply God above. He is God with us. God who is with the unwed teenage mother who is with the dirty shepherds who is with the occultic astrologers who came to bear witness to him he is with the prostitute and the adulterer and the tax collector and the roman centurion and the downtrodden and the guilty god is with us it's always been his plan and his desire and his heart to be with us from the beginning and to the end from the alpha to the omega god has always wanted to be near you You are not disqualified. Your status as sinner or saint, your gender, your sexuality, your race, your country of origin, your social class, none of it matters. It doesn't change the reality that God is with you and God is for you. He is a scandalous God that doesn't conform to the religious expectations placed on him. He is not against us. He is not against you. So Heavenly Father, as you are for us, may we be for you. May we be filled with the wonder of Mary and the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels and the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi and the peace of the Christ child. May the God of love who gave his only son to be born for you fill your life with love and peace. May Emmanuel, God with us, be with you in all your doings and all your celebrations until he brings you into his eternal kingdom. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. On the night before he died, our Lord took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. This is the word made flesh, the very body and blood who was born for us. So Lord, come now to us in the breaking of bread. As once you were born in the manger in Bethlehem, come now to us in the manger of our hearts and our hands. And then after he, uh, he took the bread, he took a cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to all to drink, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. So we remember his humble birth in a manger and we proclaim his death and resurrection and we await for his coming in glory. 
God, send now your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine as Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. So fill our communion with his eternal presence that we might know the joy and peace of his coming and have our faith renewed and be strengthened in our hope of his return. A word may flesh be born again in us. Amen. Just invite you now to share in communion as we celebrate this uh, this remembrance of Christ's birth, part of a grand story that we know the intimate details of, a grand story that ends in in the poor being happy and the dead being raised and the blind seeing and the lepers walking and all wrong things being made right and a new creation being reformed as we remember those things.